I have to do something that I must do such and such thing to fulfill my agenda. <coughs> As we live our life, we learn also. And therefore, what is it that we are seeking about that? Our own perception also keeps on changing. When I am a child, I have a certain perception of what I want in my life. And then the perception of what I want in my life also keeps on changing as we go along in our life. And that is what shapes my various desires. <coughs> and thus we find desires arising in our mind one after the other depending upon what I perceive as the goal that I am seeking. <coughs> and if I feel that the goal has not been reached, then there is a desire that I want to reach that. And that is the desire that remains, let us say, at the last moment. And that is what determines what I will do, that is what my destination will be, so that I can pursue that desire. <coughs> this desire, as we know, is a manifestation of a certain need, or a certain awareness on my part that I have not achieved what I have been seeking in my life. That is what brings about various desires. So whatever be the desire at the end of the life, the next embodiment will be something that is suitable for fulfillment of that desire. As we are told, what, what is it that determines where my next birth will be? Accepting that there is next birth. As I said yesterday, we have to accept it in order to explain the life properly. If you don't accept the previous birth, if you do not accept the next birth, then we simply cannot explain the life. The diversity that obtains in the life as to why everybody is what they are. Everybody is unique. And what is it that determines what I am? Is it an arbitrary, arbitrary uh, decision on the part of the Creator that He has made me what I am and made someone else what that someone else is? If this is so, then we will have to accept, we will not only say that the Creator is partial or is cruel because He has made some people very wealthy and powerful and rich and some other people have been made just the opposite. So is it something arbitrary? The answer is no. There is this, this phenomenon going on and that what I am is something that is determined by what I do. <coughs> and as much as what everyone does is unique, therefore everyone is unique. <coughs> so that is what explains the diversity of life. Continuity of life alone can explain the diversity that we have. <coughs> Not only that, but everyone is born with this innate desire to be free. And so, uh, when the desire is planted in my heart, the solution also must be there. We know that whatever natural desires we have, like hunger and thirst and whatever the biological other desires we may have, we know that there is always provision to fulfill those desires. That is how the nature, the scheme of things is. There may not be provision for what we may call cultivated desire. That I, I have a cultivated desire, I want a given kind of food. There is a desire that I, I have this feeling of hunger. And therefore that hunger can be only dealt with, peace only with food. So food is provided. But when I demand that only a particular kind of food must be there, perhaps that desire may not be fulfilled. <coughs> there are what we call acquired or cultivated desires for which there may or may not be a solution. That's where competition is. If the whole world was merely satisfied by what we call the natural desires, there is enough for everybody. Anyway, but the thing is, so wherever the natural desire is there, 
there is a proverb which says that when teeth are given the food also must be given you know this is how it says so whatever is given need is given then the solution also is given and similarly also this desire to be free is not something that i have will is something that i am born with i find myself having that and therefore there must be a solution <coughs> and therefore as we have been discussing our life is nothing but a process of fulfilling that phenomenal desire of becoming free everybody has their own perception of what the freedom means or what is it that will bring about the freedom everybody has their own perception and that's the reason why different people are seeking different things even though each one is only seeking one thing namely that freedom and what kind of freedom unconditional freedom as in the morning swami said you want to be happy where everywhere when all the time and you can add one more question how much happiness do you want that also you can add now you want how much happiness do you want this much or that much or this much or how much do you want everybody will say that i want all the happiness in the sense that i want boundless happiness if i had my way i know such a thing will not happen i don't think this going to happen but if i had my way i would want only boundless happiness if i had my way i would want that happiness to last all the time if i had my way i would want that happiness everywhere if i had my way i would always want to be aware of that happiness that i am happy i want an awareful happiness that is called satchidananda happiness means ananda what kind of ananda that is all the time that's called sat sat means that which is existent all the time that which is not affected by time which does not come and go in time is called sat so ananda that i want should also be sat or ever existing at all times at all places and somebody may say that hey you've been enjoying that kind of an ananda or happiness in the deep sleep state is it not enough for you says no no is not enough because at that time i am not aware that i am enjoying the happiness and therefore i would be aware also that is chit chit means knowledge i want happiness all right ananda i want but that should be sat and that should be chit also another thing is again if i had my way for that ananda or happiness what how much effort would you like to make i would wish that i have to make no effort is it not if i had my way what i would want is that for ananda there is sat and chit that there should be no effort it should be effortless when can it be effortless only when it is my nature otherwise it cannot be effortless if it is myself so really what we are seeking is sat chit ananda and we are seeking it as our own self if we did look into our desire then this is what we will understand but usually we do not take time to understand our own urge as to what is it my heart urges or is that what urge is there in my heart but if we spend time then we find that this is urge in my heart i want effortless happiness all the time with awareness i want such an ananda as my own nature <clears throat> there is a agenda and everybody tries to fulfill their agenda in their own way therefore everybody is a spiritual person there is no material person because this is a spiritual need and therefore the solution also has to be spiritual even when i am seeking matter and material pleasures the experience that happens 
as a result of a material pleasure is only spiritual experience. The happiness that I feel doesn't come from matter. So when I'm experiencing matter, like some good food, whatever I call matter, that when I'm experiencing something desirable and there is an experience of happiness, that experience is a spiritual experience. Inasmuch as happiness never comes from anything that is inert, happiness only can come from that which is sentient or conscious. There is one thing conscious and that is the self. But again, that kind of an awareness also is not there on my part. When even I enjoy happiness, if I had the awareness that happiness that I am enjoying is myself, but when I am enjoying happiness, I take for granted that happiness has come from something like music or food or whatever. They become only instrumental to facilitate the manifestation of happiness which is my own nature. <coughs> In short, happiness is never created, happiness just becomes manifest. What is manifestation? Manifestation is a phenomenon that what is already existent becomes evident. What is existent, when it becomes evident, we call it manifestation. <coughs> the sun is shining but hidden behind the thick layer of clouds and therefore it is not evident. When the clouds move away because of the breeze, the sun becomes evident. Not that the sun starts shining, but it becomes, what is already shining becomes evident. Similarly also, whenever we experience happiness, we take it for granted that happiness is created. It's not created. What is already there has just become evident. And what we call a desirable situation outside is only an occasion which facilitates that manifestation. <coughs> This is what our urge is. And until that is understood, we will keep on striving and struggling and groping to fulfill that urge. If that cannot be fulfilled in the course of one lifetime, I am not going to stop there, it will continue. This is what Vedanta says, everybody has to fulfill that urge and everybody will. It is said that this urge cannot be fulfilled in a location such as heavens, etc. because even that also is an experience which is as a result of some effort, it will last for a time and we have to again continue with our, our striving. So that is the reason why we have to accept the, the, the process of birth and death. That is not just one lifetime, but there is a series of lifetimes. And when did this whole process start? There is no starting point also. We say that this is always going on from the time beginning left, as I said yesterday. We cannot trace the beginning of anything in this universe. We find that what begins also is there in a different form and therefore there is no such thing as the beginning. And so also there is no such thing as the beginning of this process. It has been going on. How long will it go on? Unless we do something about it, it will always go on. Urvamulam adhashakam ashvatham prahuhu avyayam the very first verse of the 15th chapter that we chant before the meal, it says that this tree of samsara is avyayam, it will always go on forever, unless we do something about it, unless this ignorance grows, and unless this insight comes into us, unless the life, as Swami was saying yesterday, then the order comes in our life. When this insight comes into me, that what I am searching for is this, is not some kind of material or mundane or limited thing, but what I am searching for, what I am designing is that limitless. When that insight comes, 
then life gains a certain direction. <coughs> but this is why every desire ultimately is a desire for that Satchit Ananda. And if I discern that, then rather than, rather than engaging myself in fulfilling these countless desires, I will try to understand how every desire really is a manifestation of one fundamental desire of Satchit Ananda. Then my effort will be to fulfill that desire. <coughs> this is called Mamukshuttam, the desire of seeking moksha, seeking liberation. <coughs> Anyway, that is the I the process, the continuous process of birth and death is that. <coughs> and until that desire is fulfilled, this process will not stop. Therefore, at the time of death also a desire will be there. Basically a desire only for this moksha. But if I are not understood, then that desire may be for wealth, thinking that that will give me moksha. It may be for my for a child thinking that will give me moksha. It may be for something else. Whatever I felt I did not get in my life, whatever I have been deprived of, maybe that will spring up as a desire, and quite possibly that will determine my destiny. So it is. This is not very important. What happens at the time of death is not important to us. But this is to explain why do I find myself in a given environment. It is true that I did not do not have the freedom to be born when I was born. If I was born one hour earlier, then I may have been a, a beggar also, who knows, or a king, anything. Yes, it is true that I do not have the freedom to be to determine where I am born, who are my parents, and when I am born. I don't have freedom, but in a way I do have also. It is true that I do not have the freedom when I am born, but that phenomenon of birth is something that has been an accumulated effect of what all I have been desiring. In a way one can say that it is I who determines what happens to me. That means in a way we can say that I am the one that determines my destiny. They always talk of these two things, destiny and free will. And some people believe, Swami, there is no such thing as free will. Everything is destined. What do you mean by destiny? Destiny is not something that is arbitrary. What is destiny also is nothing but the accumulated result of all the past desires that we entertain. Every desire is asking something. And some Mahatmas say that this world is like Kalpa Vriksha, a wish-fulfilling tree. You may have heard of this. There is a Kalpana or oh, there is, an, uh, there is this, uh, this uh, what shall we say, a thought of a wish-fulfilling tree. And we come across this in the, the, this, the very Indian religious books. There's a wish-fulfilling cow, that's called Kamadhanu. A wish-fulfilling tree that is called Kalpa Vruksha. It's a wonderful thing, you know. This man was once walking in the forest and got tired and exhausted and he was hungry and then uh, he wanted to take some rest and then he found a very beautiful tree, went on the tree and a thought occurred to him, how nice if I had a bed here, you know. Immediately bed came, how nice if I could fall asleep, he fell asleep. Then he woke up, he felt hungry, 
how nice if I had such and such food. The food came. Whatever he thought that God fulfilled, then he realized that hey, he was standing, he was under a wish fulfilling tree, Kalpa Vaksha. Similarly also, this, wow. Now what it is, is just a clock. And it was, it was hung there, but that thing could not hold it. So now it will not fall further. I think now it is okay. Now it is resting. So far it was not resting. It was not in a balanced situation. Just leave it where it is. I mean, don't worry. Let it hang there. I have a clock here, fortunately, so. So they say that this world also is like a wish-fulfilling tree. Whatever we desire, our desires are fulfilled. Whatever we wish, it will fulfill. And therefore, whatever I am right now can be said to be nothing but a result of all the various wishes that I entertained and the fulfillment of all those wishes is what my present is. Therefore, one must be very careful in what one is wishing, very careful. Because the wish will be fulfilled. It may not be fulfilled the way you want it to be fulfilled and when you want to be fulfilled. But it will be fulfilled. I want to have a son. I may not get it when I want it. That the wish may be fulfilled at a time which may not be. I'm, that time I wish that I, I, I had not wished that. And so all of our wishes are being fulfilled. That I have a nose like this, I must have wished. That I have ears like this, I must have wished. When growing up, people always make fun of the ears and things like that, you know. Because, but then, that time you wonder, why do I have this kind of a thing? But when you grow up, then you realize that this is what you must have wished in some ways. <coughs> and therefore, yam yam vabhismaran bhavam. Whatever be the bhava, whatever be the thought, whatever be the desire, ante, at the time of death, is what determines what your next destination is going to be. <clears throat> so what is destiny today was free will at some time. And I say, today I do not have freedom to de- determine where I will be born and when I will be born and who my parents will be, who my relatives will be, whatever. Right now I don't have the freedom. But if I accept that, what I get is a result of what I had myself desired then at some point in time in the past, I had desired it, and this is what I have got. Some of you, I would never desire this kind of a nose. Maybe, maybe. I would never desire this. But that is what you will not do now. Now you are perhaps smarter, but you will not, you have not been smart enough when you did desire at that time. Even today also I entertain many kinds of desires which I think, I think, is it not that very often we discover later on, I wish I had not asked for it. I, I plead my boss for a promotion and finally he obliges me and I get the promotion. What do I find? Wow, what, is it? what a stress, what a responsibility. It's very stressful. But can I give it back? Sometimes people want to get back to their old position. Only when I became the regional manager that I found out the history of the regional managers is that last three past regional managers each one had a heart attack in the first three months of the taking of that position. When I hear that, then I say, I don't want that. 
But until I knew what it is, I wanted it. It's only when we discover what it is, then we say, I don't want it. And so, the grass is always greener yonder. Until I go there, then I realize what it is. And therefore, if I feel, if I find that, I am stuck with things that I do not like. That is what I find now with the kind of perception I have at this time. But whenever I had wished that thing, I perhaps had a different kind of fancy for that. <coughs> and therefore they tell us, be very careful in what kind of desires you entertain. Ideally, don't entertain any desire. It's not going to happen. Ideally. Then what should I do? Let God decide what he should have. May I not decide what I want to have? Let God decide what I should have. If I could do that, that is ideal. So that requires a complete trust in him. That he is there and that he is always, he is benevolent and that my well-being is in his heart and therefore I completely submit myself to God. To what we call the order, to what we call the harmony. That becomes karma yoga. To perform an action without any demand for a personal reward would become karma yoga. Then I do this all right. So what should be the result of this action? Let God decide. He is omniscient. At the same time, he is benevolent. Therefore, he knows what is right for me. That means that rather than my deciding what is right for me, I let him decide what is right for me. Which means that I do not ask for any specific reward will come. When I perform an action, reward will come. God, Lord Krishna does not say reward will not come. Except that he says, Karmanyavadikaraste maafaleshukadachana. You do not decide what reward, in what form the reward should come. Let me decide that. Reward will come. And there is nothing wrong if you, if you perform actions for a reward. But if you realize that the only reward I want is Satchidananda, that's the reward I, of, behind all the rewards I am seeking. And how that comes, let him decide. In that case, my mind will not keep on desiring different things. But it will be doing things and leaving the, the rewards to the karma faladata. <coughs> anyway, that is said by the way. But the point is, whatever kind of bhavana, the thought occurs to me at the time of death is what determines. How come? So the second line says, Sadatad bhava bhavitaha. Sadatad bhava bhavitaha. Because that bhava, that thought, I had always entertained. So I entertain a variety of thoughts, of course. But there are certain things that are very predominant. As, as, a, as a merchant, for example, at the end of the year, will determine his bottom line as to what the bottom line is, what is the profit. Lots of entries are there, you know. Lots of entries are there in terms of many gains are there, losses are there, all of them added up to what finally this much is a gain or this much is a loss. That's what counts. Similarly also in my life many kind of thoughts are entertained. But all ultimately the sum total of all the various thoughts or the desires and the attitudes that are entertained, the sum total of all of them is what results at the last moment. This is what we have to say. And that is what decides how, you know, what my next destination will be. Sadhanatan <coughs> bhava Because that is a bhava, that is a thought, or that is an attitude 
or desire are always entertained. What determines what kind of a desire I entertain? Several things. Our past samskaras or our past uh, uh, impressions, past tendencies, they determine the kind of desire that arises in me. Oh, another thing that determines what kind of desires arise in me is, what is it that I look upon as important in my life? What is it that I look upon as important in my life? You will always find that the mind goes back again and again to that which it considers important. Without which I, which is very important to me, which is very valuable to me. What is it that I look upon as the most valuable thing in my life? And in one way or the other, the mind always try to achieve, attain that. And therefore, if you want to sort of regulate our thoughts or desires, then we have to have a clarity of what is it that is important to me? What is it that I am seeking in my life? And to the extent that this becomes clear, that what I am seeking is Satchit Ananda, that is what I am seeking is that happiness, Sat at all the times, Chit with an awareness, without any condition, that is what I am seeking. Then to the extent that that becomes important, that will govern my mind. Whatever I determine as the most important thing in my life is what governs my mind. Or at any time, whatever is important at that time is what governs my mind. I'm hungry. What is most important? Food. That will all govern my mind. But if I'm hungry and still, suppose hunger is, I don't pay much attention to hunger because I'm busy doing something and I have to finish, I have a deadline and I have to finish this. Even though I'm hungry, it doesn't seem to be very important. What is important? That I must finish my work. That deadline, meeting the deadline is important. At that time, the thought of food does not come. The thought of continuing my work comes. As I said, at any moment, what is that governs my mind is that which I consider the most important at that moment. But suppose I have determined that a given thing is most important in my mind for my life, then generally that is what will govern, govern my mind. And therefore, it is so important for us to uh, have this clarity as to what is it that I am seeking in my life. A clarity of the end as well as a clarity of the means as to how to go about attaining that. There must be a clarity. I may have the clarity that I am seeking Satchidananda, but I think that it will come through wealth, then that means the clarity of means is not there. The clarity about the end as well as clarity about the means. Then automatically our thoughts will, will reflect that fundamental desire and that is what will determine our last thought. In case our agenda is not complete, let us say, then also our life will become a continuous process of fulfillment of that agenda. Lord Krishna says that this is not the process that takes one lifetime. It is an ongoing process. Aneka janma samsiddha tatoyadi param gatim Having accomplished little by little over a number of lifetimes, he ultimately attains that objective. 
We are not meaning to say that we have to go through many lifetimes. That's not the point. Perhaps our search has been already going on since a number of... Because we find ourselves being born with certain tendencies and born with certain uh, aptitudes. The fact that that we come to this place here, the fact that we are interested in listening to this such a dry subject as, as Vedanta. In Swami there is no joke also, nothing. How can you listen to this for one hour continuously? And still we do. And we find it interesting also. That cannot be unless that kind of a tendency has already been there. And it's not that it's for no reason, nothing, no reason at all, that we have inherited that, we earned that. And so, Lord Krishna says, Sada tad bhavavavitaha. Whatever kind of that bhavana, or the, the, the thought, or the attitude, or the object you have been entertaining, this is what determines what my last bhava or the thought will be, and that is how my life process will continue. <coughs> and therefore, now going to previous verse, if I am the last thought, antakalecha mamayeva smaran, if there is someone who remembers me in the time of life, when would that be possible? If that person has remembered him all the time, it is not possible that I can remember him merely the time of death. Only when I have remembered him all the time. If he has been the most important thing in my life. And therefore, if then what is most important also becomes my altar of devotion. I'm always devoted to that which is most important for me. So automatically I become a bhakta. If Lord is most important for me, then I am his devotee. If wealth is most important to me, I am devotee of wealth. If spouse is most important to me, I am devotee of the spouse. If child is most important to me, I am a devotee of the child. Or maybe the importance keeps on changing moment to moment. My devotion also keeps on shifting, you know, from its locus. But if I recognize that the most important thing for me is Satchit Ananda or is Moksha or is God or Brahma, then that is what my mind will revolve around. That's the reason why so much time is always spent in always clarifying what is it that we are, that we are seekers. What is it that we are seeking? And what is the desire behind all the desires? As Swamiji would say, what is the desire behind all the desires? Is to become free from the desire. Your desire itself is a burden. To become free from any kind of a burden. To become free. And where is that freedom? It is not to be found out there. That freedom is nothing but my own self. And therefore, what I am seeking is to be found with myself rather than outside of myself. Then, what is the use of my, what all I am doing? What's the use of the activity that I perform? What's the use of all the vyavahara, all the transactions I have in the world? If what I am seeking is only with, to be found with myself, should I then close, shut my eyes to the world? Not necessarily. As I said, then my life should be compatible to my values. If I am the most valuable one, or I am, I am the one that I am seeking, I am the limitless, I am the whole, then I function from a platform of that understanding. As we have been saying, then my life will become one of giving rather than one of demanding. Life will become yajna, become yoga rather than bhoga. 
So that is how it is from this understanding that the whole idea of karma yoga etc. comes. So Lord Krishna said in the last thought is I, then you reach me. Whatever is the last thought, that is what you will reach. So what should we do? How can we make sure that the last thought will be God? So Lord Krishna said in the seventh verse, Tasmat Sarveshu Kaleshu Mamanusmara Yudhyacha Mayar Pitamano Buddhi Mame Vaishyasya Samshayaha Tasmat, therefore, what is that for? Because or since whatever be my last thought is what determines my destination. And therefore, since if my last thought is God or Brahman, then that is what I achieve. Therefore, Lord Krishna says, in order that your last thought is Brahman or Self or God, Sarveshu Kaleshu, at all the times, Mam Anusmara, remember me. So now Lord Krishna tells us, prescribes a way of life as to how to achieve the, the goal. Therefore, here Arjuna, Sarveshu Kaleshu, at all the times, Mam Anusmara, remember me. <coughs> Yudhyaja, but then how am I going to lead my, if I keep on remembering you, O Lord, then how about my life, my responsibilities, my family? Yudhyaja. Yudhyacha means, and fight also. Fight means, that is only for Arjuna. He doesn't say that he should fight. As far as Arjuna is concerned, the fight is something that he has to do. Since he didn't want to do. The reason, see, Lord Krishna takes every opportunity to always remind him, look, what is it that you are, you are required to do? Or what is it that is best thing for you to do? Now, right now, you are in the midst of battlefield, you are a Kshatriya, and you are on the side of what we call dharma or the righteousness and therefore the duty of a kshatriya or a warrior is to fight for protection of righteousness. <coughs> that happens to be the chore that Arjuna is supposed to do in that given situation. But what is meant by yuddha here is duty, perform your duty. This concept of duty that we've been talking about, what is duty? As you said, every situation calls for a certain response from me. And what is the perception behind the response? What is the understanding behind the response? That I am always a recipient. This morning Swami described in great detail how everything is given to us. The body is given to me. The senses are given to me. That I can talk is not an ordinary thing. It is given to me, which is something very valuable. That I can hear or listen, some given to me, something very valuable. Thus everything is given to us. If you look at our life, you realize how we are all the time recipients of favor. Not only that it was given at one, one point in time, constantly I am a recipient of the favor. Is it not so? They say that there are certain things for which you don't have to pay any tax. One is air, you know, we breathe the air, no taxes to be paid. 
Second is space where accommodated, no taxes to be paid. Third is earth that supports us, being supported, walking, no taxes to be paid. Nature does not demand any tax at all. Water, of course, uh, there is no tax as long as in India. If you can drink water from wells and rivers, no tax. If you want water to be delivered at a certain pressure and so forth, then there is a tax for that purpose. Otherwise, no tax for all natural resources. Is it not that we are given all of this? An awareness of these privileges that we are enjoying. If I... Then there is what we call Krutagnyata. Krutagnya. Krutagnya is the one who remembers all the favors that have been received. <coughs> this we mean constantly receiving the favors from God. And God is not just one. I have been discussing. The whole universe is manifestation of God. And therefore I am receiving favors from the whole universe. Not only from the elements such as space, air, fire, water, but all the living beings also around me. Even the trees also. They are in fact absorbing carbon dioxide and giving out oxygen. We will find out that everything that is around us has something to contribute in our life. It is awareness of this reality of life that brings about the idea of duty. Therefore, what is the spirit with which I perform my day-to-day activities is in the spirit of returning the favor. So, spirit of returning the favor is the spirit of duty. I have been recipient of the favor from my parents, from my members of family, from the neighbors, so forth, returning the favor. I am recipient of favor, uh, privileges from the nature, you know, returning the favor. I am recipient of the uh, privileges from my teachers, so return the favor. <coughs> so this spirit of returning the favor is is a spirit of duty, and that is what is meant by Lord Krishna. That keep performing your duty, keep performing your work, and don't keep on asking what is in it for me. That will come to you. So Lord Krishna says, don't worry about the rewards. I'll take care the rewards come. That means performing an act in the spirit of returning the favor without demanding a reward. This is called duty. Very tough and very demanding. I'm not saying that this is easily possible, but this is what is the concept of duty that the Veda has given. Therefore you hear people in That, that doing itself becomes a reward, if there is a right attitude. I have duty towards my teacher. Matra Deva Bhava, Pitru Deva Bhava, Acharya Deva Bhava, Atisa Deva Bhava. <coughs> you look upon your mother as God, you look upon your father as God, you look upon your teacher as God, you look upon a guest as God. That means look upon them, serve them as you would serve God. I mean, these are all tall orders, I mean, it's not, it's not easy to do these things. But we try to do whatever we can. The important is the spirit and our effort. As we said, everywhere we have, we discuss all the time, we always have our boundary lines, you know. Because performing duty is not easy. It involves a lot of self-deprivation. Performing, when I have to, when I have to keep in mind the interest of someone else, then naturally, there is some deprivation of my own interest. In performance of duty, there is a deprivation of my own comfort and what I would want to have. It's not always possible for me to do that because that means that 
I have a certain amount of deprivation is there and there is a limit to the amount of deprivation that I can tolerate. So within that limit I do. <coughs> and I hope to be able to stretch my limits so that I can uh, do more and more. But the idea is that keep doing. Lord Krishna, you keep doing things. Keep doing useful things. Keep doing the best that you can in terms of contributing something. It, you know, uh, and it's not that I have to be an Einstein to contribute something to the world. Whatever I am is fine. Whatever God has given me, in terms what everybody has been given something. Some ability, some talent, some aptitude, something has been given to everyone. And at least I have a spirit of offering, sharing, offering. That's what is meant by Yudhya And keep doing this also. So remember me and keep performing your duty. Fill up your time with useful things. Don't waste your time. Fill up the time with useful things. <coughs> so this is the prescription that Lord Krishna gives as a means of assuring ourselves that at the end he will be the one that will be in our mind. Because how? Sadatat bhavavitaha. Whatever it is that I have been thinking all the time is what is what it is that comes to me at that end also. So Ma Manusmara, keep remembering me. When? When should I remember you, Lord? Sarveshu Kaleshu. At all the time. At home also, yes. At the place of work also, yes. While walking also, yes. While eating also, yes. While doing anything. At all the times, at all the places, under all conditions. It's ideal again. So this is the Mahamanusmara, remember me. <coughs> it's not easy. Because there are so many pressures that you Swami, you don't know. What it, what it means when you go out to work and you find out how much how much pressure there is and so much demand is there and therefore where is God? Because so much tension is there on my, my head and, and so much demand is there and I have to meet deadlines and so much stress is there. Where can I remember God? It is true, it's not easy. But still, yeah. what is meant by remembering God anyway? Is I keep on remembering his name, Swami, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, is it what I keep on chanting? But if I, if I pay attention to that chanting, then how can I do my work? I'm supposed to be an accountant, you know. And I must pay attention to what I'm doing. If I now keep chanting Ram, 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 Ram and pay attention, then how can I do this work? I'm a surgeon. I must pay all my attention to what I'm doing. At that time, how can I pay attention to God? So that is why there is a sankalpa that all night, whatever I am doing, I am offering to God. Then do what you have to do. <coughs> In the remembering God, Lord Krishna himself has said that I am everything. When I am performing surgery, I can still remember God. I am a doctor performing surgery. Where is God here? This patient. God has come to me in the form of the patient. And then remembrance is there, I, you see, for example, let us say that there is someone whom you love, someone whom, you know, a person loves, someone whom I love, let us say, and I want to do something with that person. What am I doing? I don't know. Let us say, uh, suppose I am preparing food, I am preparing, I am cooking for that person, preparing roti, you know, chapati. Now that is a task that requires uh, quite a lot of attention, you know, and a certain amount of skill also. 
Oh, when I'm cooking food for, let's say mother is cooking food for her son. He is visiting her after eight months and she is looking forward to having him and she remembers what all he likes. And so she is cooking. So while cooking, when she is adding salt and all these, you know, these spices, so to whose taste the food will be cooked? Will it be cooked to the taste of the mother or will it be cooked to the taste of the son? To the taste of the son? So when she adds son, say my son doesn't like too much salt. Okay. Oh, he likes spicy food. Oh. He likes fried stuff. Okay. So whatever she does behind that, that awareness or remembrance of the sun is there because there is love there. So when she is knitting a sweater, cooking the food, or cleaning the house, or whatever she is doing. Oh, you know, my, what are you doing? You are preparing for something. Yeah, my son is coming on Thursday, but today is only Monday. But well, he's coming on Thursday. I must prepare the whole place. She meditates on him, maybe for a whole month, and prepares. So even while working also you can remember, is it not? It is not that you have to specifically remember my son, 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 but that my remembrance is there at the back of my mind in doing whatever I am doing. It is that which determines what I do and how I do. What food I cook is determined by him, not by me, and how I cook food is also determined by him. When she is making the bedroom and decorating and doing according to his taste. What kind of bed should he likes and whatever, you know. I have never done this, but I imagine this must be happening. His swamis don't have certain privileges that everybody else has. But anyway, of course, for when the teacher comes, you know, then you do something like that. So, uh, whatever. But the idea is that, that is why they give us this, uh, in India, every, every home has an altar. Many, most of the homes are altar, where you have the, the Lord placed in the form of a little image or, or, or a picture or whatever. And you serve Him. And there is, sometimes His God is so little, the image is so small. And this Lord Krishna is worshipped as a child. This woman is worshipping as a child. And that is the sole preoccupation in her life. She spends maybe two hours, three hours, four hours a day and she, she cooks the food also for him, him herself. She makes the flower garland also for herself. She makes the ornaments also herself. She makes the, uh, the clothes also herself. Everything she does herself for that little Lord Krishna. All the time remembering. Doing things and remembering him. Mamanusmara yudhyaja. Keep doing what you have to do and remember me. That will be possible when I do everything for him. But how can I do everything for God? As we said, whatever is before me is God. For a doctor, the patient is God. Some you don't know these days. With the managed care and stuff like that, how difficult it is. People don't look at Swami, that whole bhava is lost. That whole spirit that of the relationship between doctor and the patient seems to be lost. This fellow is a potential, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, litigator or whatever, you know, rather than a patient. But really speaking, as we said, if everything is God, whoever comes before me is, is the God in that form. And so you may be cooking, you may be sweeping, you may be doing whatever work. You may be working in a field, working in an office, working in corporation, working wherever. Or working for someone, isn't it? 
There's always a client for whom you work, there's always a boss for whom you work, there's always some cause for which you work, and you can say that the Lord comes before me. So in short, a dedication to a certain cause which I look upon as God. But this is what we have to do. This is called the art. We have to find out the ways of how to involve God in everything that we do. That, that makes our karma yoga. Karma or ordinary action also becomes yoga when God is associated with that. <coughs> and I can always try to remind myself that the food I'm eating is given by Him. And He alone is in the form of the food also. That even the as digestive fire also, He alone resides in my stomach. He alone digests the food also. He alone is everything. And so, as we discussed, Lord Krishna said, Adhyatmam, the individual also I am, Adibhuta, the elemental creation also I am, Adhideva, the, all the, the laws that also I am. He is everything. And that's the reason why it is possible to remember Him. So, Mahamanusmara, uh, Sarveshu Kaleshu. If you cannot do it all the time, at least we'll, the next verse will come, of course, uh, how to do even this. Lord Krishna will tell us that also. But right now he says, in order that you remember me at the time of your death, and that you reach me, remember me all the time. Don't wait for the last day, or don't wait for the last minute to remember me. Sadatat bhavavitaha, whatever bhavana or the thought I have entertained the whole life, this is what comes before me at that time. The second line says, Mayarpita Mano Buddhihi. Mami Eshasi Asamshanha. Mayarpita Mano Buddhihi. Being one whose mind and intellect are offered to Arpita. So this is what happens in the process of remembering you. Remembering Lord with a spirit of offering. <coughs> so Lord Krishna says, Mai Arpita Mano Buddhi. Here Arjuna, you become one whose manas, manas means mind, meaning emotional faculty. Buddhi in intellect, the thinking or knowing faculty. <coughs> the heart as well as the head. The heart as well as the head or the intellect. So manaha and buddhi, two words are there. Manas means emotion, the feeling faculty. And buddhi is the thinking, knowing faculty. May you offer both of these to me. <coughs> or may you become one who has offered both the mind and intellect to me. Mahami to see that you will reach me. Asamsaya, there is no doubt about that. <coughs> okay, we will continue our discussion in the afternoon, 5 o'clock. Om Purnamadav Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashashyate Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutavande Bhagavanta Punaf Punaha Ishvaro Guru Ratmevi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha 